Hey everybody, welcome to episode 11 of the Mendoza Line. My name is Cam and I am joined all the way across the eastern half of this fine country of ours by my good friend Nick. What's going on, man? What's up, Cam? How are you this evening? You know, I am uh, I'm good. It is always a pleasure to talk with you. We don't talk enough. We do not. And it is always a highlight of my week when I get to call my best friend over the wonders of the internet and in chat. So I'm looking forward to this. And I'm also a little bit sad because next week uh, we're both going to be traveling. And so there's not going to be a Mendoza line next week, which, which saddens me deeply. Hey, I would love to, uh, to be with you again next week, but I will be down in Florida with my family. So, And, you know, if, if you're going to bail on me, bailing for family in Florida is a very good reason. And I shouldn't even say you're bailing on me because I'm going to be flying back from Milwaukee. So I'm bailing on you as well, man. This is a mutual bail. Milwaukee, huh? What's going on up there? Um, one of my wife's lifetime friends, long, I mean, they've known each other for probably 25 years at this point, maybe 22 on the uh, conservative edge. Uh, she is getting married. Oh, nice. And uh, he is from Milwaukee, and they're getting married there, which is interesting. And... Um, <laughs> Yeah. Well, it just usually you get ma- usually you get married where the uh woman is from. That's that's just that's just tradition and and they're bucking tradition and good for them. And so we'll be in Milwaukee all weekend, but it's also next weekend is also my wife's 30th birthday. Yes. So mine as well. The <laughs> it, it that's true. Yes, you are 1 day older than my wife. Yes. Um So your your birthday is Saturday and hers is Sunday. Yes, not to get too off topic, but is she in as much delusion about that as me? Uh, yeah, she she's not pleased um, with the turn of events that that all of a sudden she's thirty. Um, but I think she's gonna handle it with grace, uh, like she does most things. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, what's interesting about Milwaukee is that we're gonna we're gonna revisit Milwaukee later in our episode. Mm. Um, but in what context I will leave uh, as a cliffhanger. We'll leave people on the edge of their seats. Yes. Why are we going back to Milwaukee? We must know. But first, before we get to our main topic, we have some follow-up and some news to cover. So, Nick, your lovely wife yes, it- has followed up on our podcast, and I have to say... First time I- follow-upper. Yes, uh, Lauren, Lauren Coates, uh, long, long time Nick Coates adorer, first time caller. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yes. I have to know, all Nick put in the show notes was Lauren's question. <laughs> I have no idea what this is, and I am very excited to hear what Lauren has to contribute to the podcast, because I think she's a rather swell individual. So, Nick, lay it on me and the listeners. What, what does your lovely wife want to ask us? Yeah. Uh, well, yeah, Lauren's been a, a pretty avid listener of the Mendoza Line podcast as a, the great wife that she is. She has enjoyed learning. Like I I'd said previously, she now knows what Cy Young stands for because of this podcast. So the least we could do, I know. But um, yeah, we were talking today and I 
you know, I had mentioned we were going to be recording and I was like, do you have any questions? Like you, you listen all the time. This is a chance for some follow-up. And she did have a really good question that I know, you know, we have some listeners from time to time that may not be the biggest baseball fans. So, and, and no questions, a stupid question. So here we go. But she, she wanted to know about the, the structure of a baseball organization. So, you know, it, you see all these different people on on the TV, you know, all these coaches in the dugout. Like, what do they all do? Are they just there watching the game? What, you know, why, why are there all these people? They're just playing baseball, right? So, in a, in a, I'll, I'll try to do it in a the most basic way possible, and you can add in, Cam, if you would like. But at, at a basic sense, so you have you know, 30 different organizations in Major League Baseball, correct? And each of these... Sure. Each of these... <laughs> last time we checked, <laughs> there was 30. Yeah. So each of these organizations have just tons of people that work for them in multiple different capacities from the top, you know, the owner or ownership group of each organization at its basic sense. These are the people that own the team. So... Whether they're good owners or bad owners, they're the ones that make the the calls. So in a capitalistic society, yeah, they can't really get fired unless they say something derogatory, as some have in the past, and they forfeit the ownership. But yeah, these these are the people that own the team. They make all the decisions, the hiring, etc. So a step below them, and most organizations are is the president or general manager role uh, that um, that more, most of the time pretty significantly renowned individuals hold those positions. They've been in the league for a long time, uh, been on their block. But these are the guys that make the, the day-to-day um, long view decisions in the organization. A lot of those decisions are with uh, the team you know, whether that is uh, moving players from the minor leagues, um, adding players in the offseason, trading, etc. And there's a whole other section of the organization that has to do with business. And because they are businesses, they want to make money, so they have to sell tickets, market, advertise, etc. But we'll just, we'll be more on the, the baseball end of things. So, so yeah, the GM, they're the ones that, um, you know, hire the coaches more than likely, or the managers, um, etc. So they're they're kind of one step below the owners. They most of the time they're the ones that have to report to them and them only. So so the, yeah, they they kind of take more of the the big the long view spectrum of yeah the players, uh, etc. So and then the the managers, which is on on the baseball side below that, are the they're kind of in charge of the team, the day the day to day of the players who starts, uh, who comes off the bench, um, etc. So you know the day to day short view. They're trying to win, they're trying to win games, and they they all each have their coaches. Uh, some of the you know the ones that every team has are the, you know your your first base coach, your third base coach, pitching coach. Uh, which is what it sounds. They overlook, oversee the pitchers. The hitting coach oversees the hitters. Uh, bench coach uh, oversees the bench and is kind of a sounding board for the the manager. 
uh, et cetera. So can I interject real quick? Is the position of third base and or first base coach the most ridiculous occupation on the face of the planet? How so? Uh, What purpose does a third base coach serve other than telling a guy to stop or to continue running? They are a glorified crossing guard. (laughs) Well. In a baseball outfit and a helmet. (laughs) Am I wrong? On the surface, that's that's one aspect of the job. Now, that's that's not all they do. So, in a... Please inform me, because in my mind, all the third base coaches is a, you shall not pass, or yeah, just go home, man, whatever you want to do, it's okay. So, yeah, I mean, that's that's overtly what you see. I mean, I would argue that a bench coach is even more worthless, because they, they hey, kind of... Hey, do you want some sunflower seeds? How about <laughs> some much. beef jerky? Exactly. I got a funny YouTube video, you want to watch it? In my it? mind, they just literally, they sit on the bench. I need that they job. They coach from there. But, yeah, I mean, all these coaches have different responsibilities. They're more – so I know the Reds, Billy Hatcher is their third base coach, and he does he does different drills, outfield drills, base running drills uh, with the players, which, I mean, in Major League Baseball, it's not like they practice that much anyways. So, I, mean, th- I mean, those are pretty cool jobs. Unfortunately, the – most teams might not even know who they're – first base and third base coaches are unless they're really bad at their jobs because especially the third base coach when they get uh players thrown out at home quite frequently then you'll you'll definitely know who they are so you want to kind of avoid that kind of like in football you don't want to know who the linemen are because if you don't then you kind of know that they're doing their jobs but you kind of get to know linemen by the fact that they get penalties or blown assignments or whatever so like offensive linemen? Yes, sorry. Offensive okay, linemen. I was like, um, I'm pretty sure if they're defensive, you want to know their names because that means that they're sacking the quarterback. But yes, yeah, sorry. Offensive, offensive linemen, linemen, for sure. So yeah, that's each. I mean, they have different responsibilities, but on on game days, yeah, they they stand out there. They're they're responsible to help the the runners make discernment on whether to send them to the third baseman, whether to send them home or not most most of the time um help them with the the pick off the pick off move of a pitcher honestly i feel like the first and third base coaches could be replaced by an app <laughs> or just people yelling just give out. each just just give each batter an iphone give them an app that says should i steal or should i not steal first base coach covered should i should i stop or should i go home third base coach covered like, why is there not a second base coach? Well, because then they would be in the field of play. Exactly. If we're going to put flags and hot tubs in the field of play, why not put a second base coach that's just there scratching his butt? You're, you're just you're just trying to get people out of jobs, aren't you? No, I'm trying to create jobs. Let's make America great again, Nick. I want a second base coach for every baseball team in the country. Now, as a I coached high school football. Or, baseball for a couple of years or a year you did football too don't yeah, don't try baseball so i was a first base coach and i would like to think that i didn't waste all that time just standing out there oh no i i'm not i'm not trying to be a jerk and saying that you waste your time as a first base coach i'm just saying second base seems left well, out. that's where 
There's an umpire. There's an umpire there. Why not put a coach coach. there? They're kind of responsible for that too. So they're third and second base coach. So they're like the master of the bases. Yes, first base helps with that too. Which second base, you know, the first base coach, if it's a double, they're going to tell you to go to second, and you just have to. If it's going to be close, you're supposed to slide anyways. Um, and then. Yeah, but make sure that you wait until you're at the bag before you slide and break the guy's exactly. ankles. That way he punches you and in the face. Yeah, the first base coach generally is the one that kind of helps. They tell where the second baseman shortstop are. So, yeah, I mean, the first base and third base coach jobs on game days, most of the time, yeah, it's just helping communicate um, to the players on the field. So, so yeah, just an overview. So. Sometimes it can be hard to decipher between like an owner and a general manager. The owner is the one that makes they own the team. They can make all the decisions. The general manager is kind of is still an employee, but they're still they oversee everything. They're more with the the transactions. They're a little bit more separated from the players because they have to you know they cut players, they send them down. You can't be afraid of hurt feelings in that case where the manager has to more do the the day to day talk to the players. Um, and even like baseball managers, there's there's some over oversimplification on if a team's not doing well, it's because of the the manager. I mean, the players have to perform. There's a clubhouse um, element to that as well, which that made me think my dad really appreciated our our clubhouse uh, dynamics discussion last podcast about. Um, <laughs> We're talking about smoothies or something like that. <laughs> so yeah, clubhouse dynamics are important. Yeah. But. Well, and and to your point about the manager kind of being on the hook for the players, it's unfortunately oftentimes it is easier to replace a manager to try and solve a clubhouse culture than problem. Twenty-five players. Well, not even 25, but I see your point, but like four players. Like if you got four guys that are just absolute idiots off the field, they, they, they hit well, they field well, whatever their job is, they pitch well, but in the clubhouse, they're just a pain. You know, four or five guys can cause a clubhouse culture to be toxic. Mm-hmm. And oftentimes the... In, in this case, in baseball, the manager will get sacrificed and will get fired because it's easier to do that than it is to replace the on-field skills of those four or five idiots in the locker room. Right. And that's that's the time where you feel really bad for the manager. It's like it's, he didn't get fired because he's a bad manager. He got fired because the team is just messed up. You know, but then there's other times where the manager gets fired and the team all of a sudden, you know, goes from being 10 games under 500 to being 10 games above 500. So it's it's this very thin or uh, easily um, tripped line of is it the manager's fault that the locker room is toxic or is it the fact that your best players are jerks off the field? Because that's the case. I mean, like. Not everyone who's good at baseball is a good human being. Or a good leader. Like those are mm-hmm. those are two very separate skills. Like I happen to think that I'm a very good human being, and I'm a terrible baseball player. I'm I'm awful at it. In fact, 
Now, there, there is one instance where the manager probably didn't do a very good job controlling the clubhouse. Do you remember like five years ago uh, when the Red Sox, they were having a really rough year, and it kind of came out at the end of the year that the, uh, <laughs> the Red Sox starting pitchers would uh, drink beer in the clubhouse on the days they weren't pitching and eat like fried yeah. chicken. That sign me up for that job. I want to be the consistently non-starting Red Sox pitcher. It was yeah, it was like John Lester, Josh Beckett, and yeah. John Lackey. And it was when uh, Francona was the manager, yeah. right? Yeah, I just looked up an article about it, but yeah, and and a link to that will be in the show notes for sure because that's just too funny to pass up. Yeah. But yes, it's not my day. I'm gonna drink beer and eat fried chicken. Like <laughs> they're in Boston, Massachusetts. The you know for all intents and purposes, the home of the American Revolution. And on their off day, even while they're at work, they're in uniform. They're just not pitching that day. Beer and fried chicken. I mean, how how much more American does it get to Oh, that? it's so great. So this is, this is an amazing quote from this article. Um, but he, he, Lester, this is John Lester, he's pitching for the Cubs now. He said he wanted to make it clear that he and the other pitchers weren't getting drunk during games. It was a ninth-inning rally beer, Lester said. We probably ordered chicken from Popeye's like once a month. That happened. But that's not the reason we lost. Most of the time, it was like one beer, a beer. It was like having a Coke of how, in terms of how it affect you. Oh my I know God. how it looks, so people probably think it looked bad. But we weren't up there drinking and eating, and, and nobody played video games. We were watching the game. <laughs> oh. That's funny. That's beautiful. So I love it. Yeah, just some Popeyes every once in a while. Professional athletes during the game. But so yeah, that that was a kind of a disaster, and Frank Hanna lost his job for that. So he sh- I mean, you should probably avoid substances that alter um, athletic abilities, etc. It's more for perception reasons. But yeah, I think sometimes the manager, like you have to be a psychiatrist in some situations because. Talk about how hard baseball is and the baseball season is long. Well, yeah, and you have to manage egos. You got to manage slumps. You got to manage. Yeah, your hit your your star player is in a slump where he's hitting one fifty. You have to resurrect the all star out of that situation, and then you've got to you've got to manage the the platoon outfield player the up-and-coming utility guy from my, I mean like being a major league manager as as lofty and as cushy as it seems probably really sucks if you actually get down to the nitty-gritty of what they're responsible for yeah there's there's a lot of stress I'm sure and it's it's always the first thing to go to for fans when the team's struggling is to fire the manager when a lot of times, I mean, they, they set the lineups, but the players have to perform. It's, there's no magic formula a lot of times. Yeah, and that, and that is a cross-sport phenomenon where it's like, oh, my team's not performing, fire the coach. How about you f- get rid of the players that do not fit and are causing, I mean, whether it's you know basketball or soccer or football mm-hmm. or hockey, you know, Nick and I are both diehard Red Wings fans, and despite our geographical differences, we we rally around a single team in hockey. Yes, and 
no one in Kansas thinks that hockey's a sport and it breaks my soul, but that is totally different from what we're talking about now. But it, it often seems, to your point, that the manager is the scapegoat. That if anything is wrong, well, let's just fire the manager. Well, have you ever considered that the manager is not the issue? That the manager actually understands the sport incredibly well, understands how to manage reasonable people, and understands how to beat your most uh, villainous opponents. It's just that the problem is this guy and this guy are absolute idiots and refuse to listen to said manager's wisdom. Mm -hmm. And how often does a manager get crucified for a terrible season when in fact the fault lies within one or two or five players who just absolutely refuse to change? Yeah. I mean, I have a hard time believing that, you know, I'm, an idiot would get hired as a manager. Like these guys are exactly. That's my point. Exactly. They get hired for a manager for a reason. They are well-respected and well-known as intelligent human beings. Well, people forget that it's sports. Like everyone, everyone's trying to win and not everyone can win every game. Like someone has to lose. So you're going to go, you're going to have times where your team is not winning. That's, that's just part of it. Like there's no, there's no magical formula or or perfect fit. There's no, you know. I think some people are probably spoiled by, you know, Patriots have Bill Belichick in, in football. He always wins. Um, I think Joe Madden probably in baseball, off the top of my head, is the one that has had a lot of success. You know, and there's some there's some there's some guys that probably they're just really good. They have talent, but that's those are very rare. That's a rare breed of. There's no. There's not a lot of John Mans walk around, or they would be hired. And but if there were, it's like if to be realistic, if John Madden or Joe Madden, Joe Madden was managing every team in baseball, if he managed every team in the majors, not every single team could have a winning record. So it's. I mean, that's part of the fun. Like it's part of the debate. It's part of wanting your team to do well. It's struggling, but there's some patience that's lost in that. I mean, there's some times where managers, you know, for whatever reason, they deserve to get fired. You know, Dusty with the Reds three years ago refused to part with his hitting coach who just uh, years after years of just not having a lot of success, you know, he stuck by his guy and he got fired. So you got to, you know, follow the wishes of your superiors. That's most jobs, you know, if they ask you to do something, you got to do it. But, you know, not to go on for too long, but organizations are complex systems. There's a lot that goes on there, but uh, a basic sense, those are probably some of the bigger players that are involved in those decisions. I'll, uh, I'll follow up with Lauren after. She uh, listens to this and see uh, if we did a good job explaining that. But So, Lauren, thank you for that all-encompassing follow-up section. But it is time to move on to news. So, yeah, the, the Royals, did you watch that game? How's, how's Dave doing? Honestly, I haven't talked to him since this happened. 
but I can only imagine that his fury is pretty amazing. Uh, so for listeners who don't know what we're talking about, the Royals and the White Sox are uh, were embroiled in a uh, inter-divisional series where wins actually matter. Shocking. I know baseball games that actually matter because there's like 9,000 of them. The the White Sox, who were trending downwards heavily, were up against the Royals, who have been the central champs the last two years and made the World Series. And in fact, and they won it last yes, year, right? Oh, that hurts so much. Uh, anyhow, the White Sox, who were off to a scorching start, were up against the Royals, who were up to a like. Yeah, we like kind of like baseball and stuff start. Uh, and the White Sox were up seven to one in the bottom of the ninth with one out. They had two outs to achieve. Not only did they fail to get those two outs, they wound up losing the game. Not in extra innings, mind you. In that ninth inning, they were up seven to one and they gave up seven runs to lose eight to seven in one inning in two outs they give up eight runs yeah the white Sox have lost six in a row so yeah they're coming back down to earth a little bit and the royals are back in first so that was probably a disappointing series for them um last couple series but it's good for the central in general because the middle Exactly. The middle of the pack has become the top of the pack, which means that the whole pack outside of the Minnesota Twins has condensed. So it's anybody's division. Yeah, Tigers only three back. I got faith, Nick. I have faith. All right. So, yeah, next uh, bit of news was a pretty big debut. Uh, Julio Urias. Urias. The uh, he's yeah the number two probably overall prospect in all of baseball. Um, he he's kind of been on the radar for the last two or three years. He he was an international signing by the Dodgers, and he has pretty much dominated. He was pitching in the lower levels when he was sixteen against like you know most of the time th- those guys are twenty to twenty three years old. And as a sixteen year old, he was dominating them. So he's. He's quickly moved up the ladder, and he debuted last uh, last week as, at 19 years old. So my question for you, Cam, is what were you doing when you were 19 years old? <laughs> I am so glad you asked this question, because just last night I was at the U.S. men's national soccer team match against Bolivia here in Kansas City. And it was a friendly in preparation for the Copa America Centenario, which is the 100th anniversary of the Copa America. And a 17-year-old played for the U.S. team and scored a goal. So between this 17-year-old soccer player and a 19-year-old baseball player who are that good at what they do, and I am 29, and I'm not that good at anything that I do. Well, there there have only been a few uh, people in the modern era that have debuted at 19. So he is in a different class of 
and that is my exact point is that this kid at 19 is more skilled and more nuanced at what he does for a living than I am at 29 at what I do for a living. Yeah, he's he's impressive. He he's got four really good pitches as a 19-year-old. Uh good command. Yeah, I think the biggest thing for him is going to be the mental part of uh just being that young, which I mean, I guess hasn't been an issue for him up to this point, but had a bit of a rough outing. His uh his debut was at New York against the Mets. So that probably, you know, the biggest one of the biggest stages outside of maybe Yankee Stadium. But yeah, he struggled, got sent back to the minors, but he'll be he'll be back later this year. And a big issue for him is going to be he only pitched uh, 80 innings last year, and there's uh they're going to be careful with him. They're not going to let him pitch more than 100 or so. So they're going to you know he may be in the bullpen a little bit um, when they bring him back up. But I mean they they do need him. The the Dodgers are hurting outside of Kershaw. Their their team isn't very good. So uh, I, I'd imagine he'll be back up because, I mean, he was dominating AAA as well. So it wasn't just like um, a desperation thing. Like he, I would say he he earned that promotion. But um, though I think the only reason they sent him down is because, yeah, they do need to conserve his innings. So, yeah, just a few other notes. We uh, talked about Jackie Bradley Jr.'s hitting streak last week. So he got up to 29 games, which was impressive. So he lost that on Saturday, um, yesterday. So didn't quite make it to 56, but impressive nonetheless. <laughs> yeah, he only failed by 27. Yeah. So, <laughs> like, how bad is it that you get to 51%? Yeah, that's... And you're a, a, a failure, in quotes. Like, 29 games is insane. Because what Hall of Famers are three and a half out of 10 for a career. And he hit 29 games in a row. Like we, we laugh at that and joke about it, but 29 games is, that is impressive. I couldn't hit 29 straight anythings. Even if it was high fives, I would miss one. (laughs) I, uh, Thank you for the pity laugh. I appreciate it. that was like ten seconds too late. It took me a minute to like put that together, but I think you could get those high fives. You just gotta look at the elbow. You you overestimate. All right. Um, <laughs> another item: Clayton Kershaw. It, he's actually pitching right now. I don't know how he's doing, but he has had a dominating month of May. He has made five starts. Uh, he's making a sixth tonight, but in his five starts uh, thus far, he's gone five and zero with a .64 ERA. He has faced 142 batters and has just given up 20 hits and two walks out of those 142. So amazing! I mean, not to say this is surprising. I mean, from day one, previous podcast, he's the best pitcher in the league. He has been for two or three years, but I think. On another level, he's just been dominating, and he's impressed. I mean, he's not throwing 101 out there. He's he's got you know hammer curveball, and just he just knows how to pitch. And so yeah, he shut the Reds down last week. They got swept by the Dodgers, but yeah, he's cruising his way towards another Cy Young, which I think we both picked him. So we. 
Not that anyone else or many people didn't pick him, but he has been dominating this month. And then the last bit of news was the, uh, speaking of the Dodgers, they played the Mets uh, this weekend. And if you remember, uh, this goes back to last year in the playoffs when Chase Utley, who plays for the Dodgers, uh, took out uh, the Mets shortstop, broke his leg. That shortstop still hasn't played this year. But he's kind of become, he has been the villain of Mets fans just because he dominated the Mets when he was with the Phillies. But uh, Noah Syndergaard yesterday threw behind him and got immediately ejected. And there was a bit of controversy with that because a lot of times when that happens, uh, there'll be warnings that are issued. But the discernment of this umpire, you know, they had probably been given a heads up that this could happen. Because Syndergaard's kind of, I mean, he has the, the hardest stuff. He's kind of known as the enforcer on the Mets because when you can throw 99 you know people are going to be a little uh a little antsy up there but yeah he threw behind him got thrown out which was pretty big part of the game because he's their ace he got thrown out in the the fourth and the Dodgers ended up winning nine to one or Utley went on to hit two home runs and had five RBIs in that game so I guess he got the last laugh but yeah, he's not a he's not been endearing himself to to Mets fans, especially this weekend. He's kind of been on a tear. But yeah, he uh, Syndergaard was a little surprised about that. There's some controversy as far as why there wasn't a, a warning given because uh, it kind of came out of nowhere. But something to keep an eye on in the future for sure, especially if the two those two teams meet in the playoffs. Yeah, that would be a. Uh... A playoff series worth all of your attention, for sure. Um, I think it's time for us to broach a topic that we have never discussed on the show before, and that is our favorite and most visited baseball stadiums. So we are going to give a history of all of the stadiums in which we have watched this wonderful game. And then we're going to share our favorites based on, you know, numerous variables. So, Nick, I'm going to give you the... uh, Should I just run down my list? Yes. Yeah, so I would love eventually in my life to see all the different parks. Um, Maybe as I get older and able to travel more, I can see the ones out west. I've seen a decent amount in my life so far, but uh, the ones I've been to, um, obviously I've been to uh, Great American Ballpark, which is the home of the Reds, and then uh, Riverfront Stadium, which was their previous home before Great American. Um, uh, as a kid, I went to some games there as well. So I've been to, obviously, with that being my favorite team closest to where I grew up, I've been to those stadiums numerous times. And obviously I would probably say Great American's my favorite just because I've been there, have a ton of great memories, watched a ton of games uh, on TV with my family, etc. So it's a it's a great park right on the river. It's really beautiful. Um, I think even sitting, I like to sit in right field, and I think it's a really good. And it's a it's pretty close to the field and to home plate. I I just I think it's it's a tough. Uh, Tough seat to beat for the price, especially. So, seen a lot of games from there. Love that park. Uh, I've been to Comerica Park in Detroit uh, with the Tigers. 
I've been with you a couple times. It's also a beautiful park. I've actually been on the field as well. Uh, when I worked for Eagle Sports up there, yeah, they, yeah, we did something with them, and the the kids got to uh, meet Pauls or something. The the mascot before the game, so I got to touch the grass uh, before one of those games. So I saw two or three games up there uh, when I worked up there. So a lot of good memories with that. Been to Canham Yards in Baltimore, where the Orioles play. Um, a couple summers ago, absolutely beautiful, loved it. Um, just such a unique ballpark. It's right on the the Baltimore Harbor. Just beautiful field. Kauffman Stadium in Kansas City. Also saw a couple games with you there. Um, like five years ago, we, it was the first time I remember they played the Orioles, and I'll never. F- yeah, and then you went and got married and had a kid. Like, five years changes a yeah, lot. Yeah, but I, I remember that because Eric Hosmer got called up right after that game ended because I remember reading about that. He's a great he's a great player, though, so it's kind of cool to, I guess, see the last game there before he came. Uh, Citizens Bank Ballpark uh, in, here in Philadelphia. That's just been recently. I've seen a couple games there. Or I've seen three games in two years. Um, uh, let's see the Phillies, uh, Nationals Park in DC. When I lived there, saw a couple games. Tropicana Field, where the Tampa Bay Rays play, saw a game there last summer. And Target Field in Minnesota with the Twins, I went there two summers ago. So I, I mean, I would say the Tropicana Field was my least favorite just because it's pretty universally known as one of the uglier ballparks in the majors. It's a dome in Tampa, which doesn't make any sense. But, yeah, I think, I mean, all the other ones are pretty new. Target field was, I was really impressed by by that field. It's really, it's a beautiful park. Um, Citizens, where the Phillies play, I, I like it too. It's kind of cool because all their stadiums are right next to each other and there's this big kind of complex there so i mean if you're a philly sports fan it'd be so um convenient to be able to have all those there but yeah i really like comerica too camden i mean they're all i mean there are very few not good experiences when you go to ballpark nowadays but just for i guess on a personal note the Reds probably my, is my favorite for the, all those nostalgic and personal reasons. But I, I really like Kauffman and Target Field as well. Um, I don't know why. Those are just the, uh, the two of the, uh, of the other ones, I would say. I'd love to go back and see games there as well. And Comerica as well. So, <laughs> go ahead. I have been to... Not as many stadiums as you, Nick, but so close. You beat me by <laughs> one. So I've been to Comerica Park and Tiger Stadium, the two very different parks in Detroit. I have also been to Miller Park in Milwaukee. In fact, my cousin Thomas got married to a girl, or a woman, rather, from that area. and. Their uh, rehearsal dinner was at Miller Park, which was super cool. And it's enormous. But, okay, so Comerica, Tiger Stadium, 
Miller Park, Milwaukee. I've been to both Wrigley and U.S. Cellular in Chicago. All right, so after Wrigley and U.S. Cellular, where I got uh, Ben Zobris autograph, by the way. Very cool. Uh, I have been to Great American, which is your hometown park. So we have both been to each other's hometown baseball fields. Did you like Great American? I loved Great American. It's very small. It is. It, it is not a big stadium, but um, I was able to be there when Adam Dunn was still playing for the Reds, and I got to witness him throw a guy out at home from right field, or left field, which was amazing. Um, but Great American is a, is a very nice, it's like, it's small, but it's very nice. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I quite enjoyed my time with Great American. I've also been to the ballpark in Arlington where the Rangers play, which is so freaking big. It's huge. Like, we kept walking to the nosebleeds, and it seemed like it would never end. Yeah, it's uh, everything's big in Texas, right? It's that plus like, oh, here's 20 more rows. When I watch it on TV, it's just like you look in center field and they have that big thing that it just seems yeah, very tall. Uh, I've also been to Kaufman, obviously, as I live in Kansas City. I've been to like four or five games, and I believe two of those were with, with you. Mm-hmm. Um. But also, uh, two stadiums that I've not actually witnessed a game in, but have been very, very close to, are Coors Field in Denver and the old school Jake in Cleveland back in the day. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, that rounds out my list of stadiums. Nick, what is your favorite stadium that you have watched a Major League Baseball game in? Yeah, I'd, I'd have to say Great American. Like. It's hard to not say that. You're such a homer. I fully admit that. So many great memories. Like, I can't even... It's much more than even the game. Like, I've been to so many games there with so many family, friends. Even Lauren's been to a few games there. So, it's it's always something when, like, you can... It's your team. and Everyone around you is rooting for your team. It's, uh, It's so much fun. Yeah, just everything with the, it's a beautiful ballpark, the river's right there, getting some skyline before the game. It's a, it's a great experience, so love that park. Great America was a very, very enjoyable stadium. Um, but if I have to choose, I think the novelty of sitting in the nosebleeds on the third base side of Wrigley Field is great because you get to watch the sunset from behind you over the skyline of Chicago. So that to me is a visual I will never forget, even if I did wear a dastardly Cubs jersey to that game and Nick called me out in every possible way, and rightfully so. Uh, uh, Comerica Park is great. Wrigley Field is great. And uh, everything else is just kind of, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, under Understudy material. Mm-hmm. 
Is that is that fair? Yeah. I just can't get over the team um, that plays there. I just No, and and me and you have gone to games at Comerica. So like we we have a common understanding of what that stadium is like and I love sitting in left field at Comerica. I really do, but third baseline at Wrigley is also equally cool. So I think we're going to have to agree to disagree. That's okay. It's uh I mean Wrigley is a classic ballpark. I'd love to see a game there maybe someday. Oh, we will go. Great episode. That was a lot of fun. Dude, it went by so fast. But we will be back in 2 weeks with another episode of Mendoza Line. See you guys. Bye.